developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you, you define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today, visiting with us is my dear friend, Sue Lee. She is truly an amazing person, as you'll quickly see her power, passion, success, creativity, and influencing abilities. Today, we're going to talk about her vision to provide new socks for those in need and taking that vision way beyond the original concept. Let me tell you a little bit about Sue Lee. She's the co-founder of the Socketuum campaign, which is a 501c3 public charity whose mission is to provide new socks for men, women, and children who are experiencing homelessness and or in need. Socketuum began in 2012 and to date has collected more than 859,000 pair of socks that have been distributed in 41 states. I'm honored to be the chair of the Sakatuam board, as I so believe in the mission and service that this group provides. Now, Sue's a country girl. She grew up on a farm east of Cleveland and went to Kent State, where she obtained a bachelor's of science in elementary education. She also has two brilliant sons. But Sue has always had this passion for life, and she's jumped into and being involved in various justice and peace activities nationally and internationally, starting way back in the 60s, all the way through the 90s and even still now. Following that phase, she moved towards becoming a student of emotional intelligence, wanting to help people to be able to handle life instead of life handling them. And that led her to teaching at Lockheed Martin's Evening Institute for six years, presenting at many corporations and what's really cool is the program she created for preschoolers called I Believe in Me. Now, Sue not only does all this great work and, and raises money and socks, she decided during the pandemic she needed a new hobby. She taught herself to paint, now paints these beautiful pictures and has actually even sold several of these pictures. So Sue, my friend and partner, especially in walking our way through the pandemic. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight podcast. Well, I am absolutely delighted to be here, Lynn. It's always fun to be with you. Well, it's great. And let's get started talking about going back to 2011 when you had this idea of doing something to help those in need. Share with us the story of how you and your friend Phyllis really created Sakatuam Campaign. Well, it's a really fun story for me. I was shopping Tuesday night, seven o'clock at night, Tuesday before Thanksgiving. 
I'm not thinking about socks. I'm not thinking about the homeless. I'm thinking about cat hair on the furniture. How many people are coming for dinner? I've got to clean my house. What am I going to buy? And this idea came to me of Sock It To em Sock Campaign, Socks for the Homeless. And I couldn't get the idea out of my head. And so the whole time I'm shopping, instead of thinking about Thanksgiving, I'm thinking about socks for the homeless. I know nothing about socks for the homeless. And, but I couldn't let go of the idea. And when I got in my car, I didn't even wait till I got home. I called Phyllis from the car. And I said, Phyllis, I've got this crazy idea. I said, let's gather new socks for people who are homeless. And we'll ask all our girlfriends and we'll gather them now, which is basically Thanksgiving to the end of December. And we did 575 pair of socks. And then the first week in January, we thought, okay, we're gonna take them down to shelters. And we went to three shelters, it was seven degrees, it was very cold, but I thought that's all we were gonna do. I thought, hey, we did 575 pair of socks, we're gonna give them to the homeless shelters. But at each shelter, we went to three shelters we found out that socks were the number one clothing need of the homeless. So we looked at each other and I said, hey, we have to make this as big as we can. And Phyllis immediately goes, yeah, and we'll call everybody sock ambassadors. And I said, yeah, that's a great idea. And then she goes, but how are we gonna do this? And I said, well, I'm not shy. I said, we'll just email everybody we know and say, hey, this is what we're gonna do. So that's how we began back actually the first week in January delivering 575 pair of socks. So Sue, tell us why it's so important for uh, those in need and those in shelters having socks. What makes it the number one clothing need? You know, it, it's really crazy, Lynn, because we didn't know anything about socks. And what happens is socks deteriorate rapidly. And first of all, people don't even think to give socks. So if everybody listening would just imagine that you're out on the street and you walk, basically the people who are really um, homeless, they're walking five to 10 miles a day. And so imagine if you're that person and you have ill-fitting shoes and you're wearing your socks, you have one pair, dirt and grime gets down in between your foot and the shoe and the sock and all that walking and the weather and they get wet and the dirt, the fabric falls apart rapidly. A pair of socks on a homeless person might last two to three days. They have no way to wash them. And you know they might go and try to rinse them out in a sink, but then they're wet. And then if they don't have another pair to put on. And so socks fall apart and people don't think to give new socks. And what about some of the stats that when people aren't wearing socks or clean socks or have holes in their socks, how often do they end up in the ER with serious illnesses? And often it starts with a foot infection. That is so true. And it's a big, big issue. So um, back during World War One, they used to call that trench foot. They still call it that, but it's also called immersion foot. And those people, it's one of the number one reasons a person who is homeless goes to the emergency room is a foot issue. And the number one way to prevent that is for them to have clean, dry socks on a regular basis. So they often go in with 
blisters that have broken open, infections, and it's serious. They lose toes. In fact, one of our people was helping a person who was homeless in downtown Denver. She saw this man on the street. This was only like a month ago. And she went up to him and she said, would you like a pair, would like some socks? He had just been released from the hospital and had two toes removed from his foot. And he had plastic bags over his feet, trying to keep his feet dry. Wow. You know, just shocking. Here we are in the city. You don't even think about that and how simple it is to just get a pair of socks and give it to somebody who really needs it. How did you, you know, take this simple concept and idea of raising 500 some odd socks initially, and now it's grown. We're waiting to, to almost uh, deliver our one millionth pair of socks. Tell us about the growth and, and some of our, your great connections that made this concept become a real big dream. And now it's, it's reality. Well, that's, you know, it's one of my most fun things to talk about because of the aspect that I have a love for emotional intelligence. And that fits so much in with you know, you and I are good friends and we kind of have talked the talk about how do we um, go beyond our vision, right? right? And so for me, it's always been expansion thinking. And that is, so if people are listening, I would recommend, I'm going to repeat this twice because I would recommend you write it down. Expansion thinking is thinking, what if, what else, why not? So I'm going to say that again. What if, what else, why not? And my mom taught us that when we were little. My mother used expansion thinking like water pouring from a pitcher. And so I knew I could get an A on any project I did because I would always think, what if I did this? What else might I do and why not do it? And I would just do everything that way. So because of that habit from the time I was a child, I did the same thing with the socks. It's like, yeah, we're going to, you know, collect socks from people. But then it's like, well, what if we did? So we did one time we did cop socks and sandwiches, which was absolutely delightful. Perfect. We had um, 15 police officers from three different areas. We actually had queens, beauty pageant queens, which would be a draw for some people. And 150 people came. They brought uh, material to, I mean, the supplies to do peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And in two hours, we did 2,000 sandwiches and we had 3,000 pair of socks that were brought. And then, you know, so another aspect of that in thinking, what if, what else, why not? When we heard that there are approximately 2.5 million homeless children in the United States and they go to school. So then it's like, well, how can we help them? And then we thought, well, let's put sock drawers in schools. And so we put these... Uh, those bins that you can buy like at Walmart that have three drawers, the little plastic, um, they stand about three feet high. We fill those with socks. We call them sock drawers mm -hmm. and we get them into schools. So then like if a company is going to collect socks, then again with, well, what if, what else, why not? You think, well, why not sock it out and have a competition? So we try to really use expansion thinking. And I recommend that to all your listeners, whatever they're doing, to really put those three questions to what it is that they're doing. Well, your definition of expansion thinking is really vision beyond sight. 
going beyond what's there. And share with the listeners some of the great places you've gotten involved. You've had competitions in city public uh, communities and schools. Share some of these great competitions and results. I think one of our the most fun ones, there's two that come to mind, um, is that I had the opportunity to meet Mayor Hancock at an event that was a community event downtown Denver in a big room where you have all these different booths. So I went from Mayor Hancock over to where the Denver police were, and I went up to the chief of police and I said, hi, I'm Sue Lee with the Saka Tum Saka campaign. I said, did you just see me talking to the mayor? And he's laughing. And I said, well, wouldn't it be great PR for the police if you collect socks? And then I said, and not only that we get them out to the homeless, but the police could actually take the socks and get them out to the homeless when they interact with the homeless. So he's laughing and they're all shaking their head and he's giving me his card. The booth right next to them were the Denver sheriffs. Now that's county. Sheriffs are county. Police are the city. So I go to the Denver sheriffs and I said, hey, did you just see me talking to Captain White? And I laughs. And I said, and before that, I was talking to the mayor. And I said, well, I said, how about if you guys collect socks? He had just heard me do that spiel. So I had said to him, how about collecting socks? Then I look at them and they're right next to the booth of the police. And I went, man, looks like you guys could have a really great competition. How about if you, we have the sheriffs and the police sock it out and see who gets the most socks? Well, how are they going to say no, right? <laughs> so your, your language is just hysterical, <laughs> right? How could they say no? In fact, say no. that reminds me of that story you told me when you got stopped for a blinker on your car being out. <laughs> And how expansion thinking not only got you out of that situation, it expanded into more police uh, support for your campaign. Right, yes. Share that yeah. story. So that was 10, 15 at night, and I'm, in, I'm laughing and I'm trying not to laugh too hard. So it was 10, 15 at night. I get pulled over by a police officer, and I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get a ticket, you know. And she walks up to my car. And I go, oh, I'm so glad you're a woman. And she laughs. And I said, I've got my registration and my license ready. Is that all you need? And, you know, she takes that from me and she goes, well, I have to go back and check, you know, and, you know, on you and you're, you know, so she goes back to the police car. Then she comes up, back up to me. I don't know why, but the powers that be, she says, well, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, I'm so glad you asked. And I told her about the socks and I look at her and I go, you'd be a great sock ambassador. And so instead of giving me a ticket, she became a sock ambassador and got other police involved. Which is so great. Goes back to the expansion uh, thinking that you've talked about and just the power of communication, open communication is what made, has made this group grow um, so large just with you and Phyllis, two women who have their lives and other jobs have grown this campaign to be huge and it's gone across the country. Will you share how you were able to move this Sakatum campaign past Colorado? Yeah, you know, and that also goes to, again, you know, I think sometimes when people are listening 
and they might be hearing me talk about socks and then how does that apply for them? So the thing is when any of us get an idea, it's so my recommendation to all those who are listening that you will know enough people in your life or they will know enough people to be able to do what you don't know how to do. Because Phyllis and I, we didn't know how to run a nonprofit. We didn't know how to really run a business. We didn't know how to really make this grow. But of course, I love being creative, but you will know enough people. And so we had to really, getting back to that communication, be able to talk to other people to be able to say, how do we do this? And in doing that, that gives you the strength and the credibility to keep growing. And so we wanted to take what we were doing here in Colorado and replicate that across the country. And, you know, bit by bit, we're doing that. You know, we might have a SOC ambassador in Texas and we might have one in Ohio and we might have one in Atlanta and maybe they collect 500 pair of socks like we did. But those 500 pair of socks matter to where they live. But then as the word gets out and they get some of their friends to help, or the more we grow and get um, awareness brought to us by social media and our website, we get um, people joining from other states more and more where we get to start these little pockets of groups that are growing just like we grew here. And so our goal and vision, you know, going beyond that original vision is to be able to have that in all of our states where we're really making a significant difference in each state. And then, hey, from there, you know, you can just keep expanding out, you know, across the world. And we already have uh, provided socks in seven countries. Which is so great. And it just, I remember the stories of how you connected with Mrs. Colorado in the pageant Mm -hmm. and how that really exploded to other states. Um, Share that story of, Again, it was just in communication with a friend who happened to be running in a pageant, Mrs. Colorado, and how she then took it and ran with it, and then really enrolled how many other misses of other states. Right, exactly. And then goes back to that being, not being afraid to speak up and speak out. And so Phyllis actually was the one who ran into Erica Shields, who was Mrs. Colorado, And Phyllis went up to her and thought, ooh, this be great. This is like having a celebrity, you know? And so she goes up to uh, Erica and said, hey, you know, this is what we do. And those women in pageants are about doing stuff in the greater community. And so Phyllis thought, well, I'll just ask her. And Erica so jumped and got on board. And so not only what she did here locally, in one year, Erica was significant and Uh, obtaining 75,000 pairs of socks for us from just the people she knew in Colorado and the businesses. However, when she went to the national pageant to compete for Mrs. USA, she, again, was brave enough to speak up and speak out. She asked for every single contestant, which is every state, to bring socks for newborns because there are many women who are pregnant, who are homeless. And so she asked for baby socks. And that's a big deal. A lot of people don't think about baby socks. But anyway, so every single uh, uh, woman competing for the pageant brought 
socks for newborns. And it was just delightful. She came back with like 2000 pair of socks for babies. What a great story. And then how many of these women that she met at the pageant then started collections in their own states? Yes, we've had across the United States, a handful from different states of women collecting. And what's really interesting from the pageant is because they might be in the pageant system for a year. Some might be competing every year, hoping to, you know, to get to represent their state, but it's not just about representing their state. It's about what they want to do for themselves, you know, going beyond that vision again for themselves. It's, it's how much can they keep improving their own skills and their, what they're doing in the greater community. So some of these women who have helped in different states, they may not end up being in the pageant X amount of years later, but because they talked to somebody in that state, another woman in the pageant might take that on. And we've seen that grow and happen here in Colorado. There are, um, there probably have easily been 12 women in the pageant system just in Colorado that have participated and helped with socks, collecting socks, um, sorting socks, doing all kinds of things with us with socks and going to events that we have. Isn't that great? I want to make sure, and we'll mention it later as well, um, please mention what the website is. So anybody who wants to get involved, donate, start programs, be ambassadors, please share that website. And we'll put that in the uh, show notes as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we have, um, we've made it really simple for people. So the website is, of course, the typical www.donatesocks, S-O-C-K-S, plural, donatesocks.org. Great. And we'll, we'll mention that again. Yeah. So you know, you. one of the things when you were talking about ideas, that's a fun idea that we've done, um, is we got mayors involved. And so we have had mayors from different cities where they're, it's a competition in a sword. It's a competition in socking it together that they collect at their city halls and they want to see how many socks as a group of cities they can collect. And that's been really fun because we've been doing that for three years now. And each year they, they obtain more and more socks. It's like they double their number each year and they get the information out. So it's great PR for the, the mayors. Well, it's great PR for the mayors. It's been great PR for Socketum campaign as you, you and Phyllis have been on TV and in news. And in fact, share what award that um, Socketum campaign just uh, received. Wow, well, we basically in a sense just received two recognitions. Um, just recently from Channel 7, they have the Everyday Hero Award and we received that and we were blown away. We had no idea we were gonna receive it. They were filming us picking up socks at uh, Greenwood Village City Hall. And as they were uh, filming, they said, well, we wanna get one last picture of all of you together. And then all of a sudden they're thanking us for the work that we've done in the greater community, not only in Colorado, but beyond. And they gave us the Everyday Hero Award. And then most recently, we received recognition that Barclays Bank had a huge competition 
that was small businesses, big wins. And you had to be a business less than 100 people. We entered that um, not thinking anything would ever happen. This is a national um, event. And there were uh, 4,750 entries of small businesses across the United States. And we ended up being one of the top 10 businesses chosen by Barclays Bank. And we received um, $5,000, which is fantastic. Uh, so we were one of the top um, businesses show, chosen. And that, that in and of itself just you know, really verified what we're doing as a nonprofit and helping the greater community. And I think what's it's unbelievable to be even the finalists with the numbers of nonprofits that applied. And you said it needs to be a business under 100 employees, right? How many employees does Sakatuam campaign really have? We have zero. <laughs> well, and, we have an executive director. We have a, yeah. And so, you know, and it's it's really interesting because when I entered it and filled out the form, all I kept thinking is that, well, we qualify, we have less than a hundred and not knowing what they're going, you know, what they were going for. And, you know, to be chosen out of that mix is, and so again, for those people who are listening, what I would like to say and emphasize is when you, when you see something it's so easy to think, oh, we won't get chosen. Oh, we're a nonprofit. Oh, we're not that big as far as, you know, what some businesses are. Um, but don't let that stop you because you just never know if you take that risk and take that chance where that's going to end up leading. Well, that's so true. I mean, that was a what if, what else, why not? Yeah. I mean, you say, why not apply? Yeah. And look what happened. And I think that's a perfect example, Sue, of the reason this organization has gone so far is because of the communication. It's a very important mission. And there's so many nonprofits that have just huge missions that can change the world. Some do well, some kind of flounder. And in my observation, I think a lot of it has to do with communication. And that's where the emotional intelligence piece comes in. Your ability to uh, have humor, connection, and really ask those questions. What if, what else, why not? Makes this group grow. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about your experience in emotional intelligence, especially focusing on um, your work with the preschoolers. Oh, I... EQ to me is that emotional intelligence allows us to put our IQ to work. So whoever, anyone who's listening and anyone out there who has been successful, it is not so much your IQ skills, your reading, your math and all that. You know, think about when you're filling out a form, the stuff that when you're filling out a form, that's IQ. It is your EQ that had to fill out the form. So that aspect of determination and confidence and perseverance and how to hang in there, how to be kind, how to make a friend, 
there's a multitude of different things that have to do with EQ. And so when I was working at Lockheed Martin, uh, everyone kept saying, oh my gosh, I should have learned this as a kid. People were eating up the information. It just blew me away, you know, because they were becoming self-empowered and learning a lot about themselves. But they kept saying, I should have learned this as a child. And I thought, yeah, you should have learned it as a child. And the more I thought about that, it led me to really delve into the aspect of EQ importance for children. And the movie Inside Out, Pixar's movie Inside Out shows it beautifully, absolutely beautifully. Our brain, when we're born, our brain is 25% the size it's going to be in, as an adult. So those people listening who have little children or grandchildren to realize that in those formative years, as the dendrites of the brain are forming, it all has to do with emotional intelligence. They're not looking for, how do I do trigonometry, grandma? They're looking for, how do I go to this event with you and know what to do? And they're looking around and they wanna know, where do I sit and what am I gonna do? And how do I interact with people? And how do I talk with them? And, and how do I get other children to play with me? And how do I play with other children? And it's all that aspect of being part of community. And that's the first part that we learn in life. And those are all EQ skills. And so kids learn by mimicking. So to develop a program for preschoolers was fun and delightful. And we hope that it will really take off and go somewhere, but that it's children will mimic. And so we need to be very careful. So we, we use children to help teach other children EQ skills. And the body of work that you created, your video and all the curriculum, you created a whole curriculum mm -hmm. is called, I believe in me. Right. And just visualize and feel mm -hmm. what that's like. If you came to work every day, if you went to school every day, if you went to your sports activity, believing in yourself. I mean, it's more than just, you know, a fun game. It's truly finding the confidence, the clarity the courage to be who you are. And just imagine if you had a curriculum for your little three, four, five-year-olds to start learning that. The importance of preschool and kindergarten is where you learn those skills. Imagine what the world might be if you started at that age, really learning, experiencing, and growing from I Believe in Me. It is so key. You know, one of my dreams and beliefs is that all children will be able to grow up and mean it when they say, I believe in me. Yeah. So like you and I both as an adults, I know I can say that about myself. And I being a friend of yours, I know that, you know, I believe you can say that about yourself. And there aren't a, a lot of adults who can do that. So I'd like to give a, a little EQ assignment to everybody to help them be able to believe in themselves, if I might. Would love that. Go ahead. <laughs> so the two most important, the two most powerful words in any language are I am. And we better be very careful what we say after that. I will not say a negative after that. I only say positive. So here's the example. It should be as easy as doing the ABCs. I am aware, I am brave, I am capable, I am determined. I am energized, I am friendly, I am good, I am happy. Notice I'm doing the alphabet. So the assignment is for all of those who are listening that you do the alphabet 
You have to be creative with Q and X, like I am excited because you're not going to find, you know, X words. And to do that on a regular basis, I do that all the time. I do that driving my car. I do it when I'm in the shower. I do it when I'm grocery shopping. I'm doing I am statements going through the alphabet. And it's what we think about. What we focus on expands. And then the recommendation is for like with a family, then as a family, you do we are. So everybody does their own I am statements. And then as a family or as a business, I've done that with businesses where you can put up in the lunchroom, big post-it notes, have the alphabet listed and have your employees think of the most powerful words they can that represent your team or your business. Those are just wonderful tips. And you know, when I've used the I am game that you taught us mm-hmm. is when I'm hiking with the kids and grandkids and they're, you know, it's hot. When are we going to be done? Right. <laughs> we start I am. And first of all, the time flies by. We laugh because, you know, like what word are you going to use for X? And so we come up with words excited and laugh about things like that. It is so powerful first with yourself and then with a group. And what I loved about that, and that's how you and I really reconnected years ago, Mm -hmm. because when I wrote my book, see it, say it, do it, visualize, declare, take action. The say it part, the declaration, I talk all about how important it is for the statement, I am, Mm -hmm. I am that I am. And when people start talking about themselves, especially little kids who are struggling in school, and they'll say, I'm stupid. Adults, I can't do that. When people make broad statements, just like you said, be careful what you declare. Right. Because what you declare grows. And if you are just always talking yourself down and confirming it with your I am statements, that grows. I am depressed. I am anxious. I'm the worst learner. Whereas if you start looking at yourself and finding, just start with one thing. I am great. I am strong. I am loving. Whatever comes to mind, it's a great exercise. And that alphabet game helps trigger words you might not think about. Right, exactly. And you know, you alluded to something that's very important is that we will look for our brain will seek out that which will verify what we're thinking. So when we say the negative aspects, your brain will look for things to verify. And you'll go, yeah, I really am stupid, or you know, kind of thing. But if you think I am happy, I'm intelligent, I'm tenacious your brain's going to look for that to verify it. And then you'll in internally, subconsciously and consciously, you're going to go, oh yeah, I am. I do hang in there. I am tenacious. It's a great, great example. And, you know, a quick story that um, is in my book, See It, Say It, Do It, was in the Say It section. I'm one who often visualizes and starts taking action, but I don't always bring that declaration. And my daughter had asked me to walk a marathon. This is in 2009. And I'm always happy to share my experiences with my adult kids now. So I said, oh yeah, I'll walk a marathon. 
And as soon as I hung up all the negative talk, I can't do a marathon. How long is it? Why did I say yes? All the baggage that I always take with it. And so I visualize what it like be like to complete it. I went to the internet and saw pictures of people always raising their fist. I'm done. I'm complete. And then I made an action plan of all the things I needed to do. Um, get in shape, get new shoes, all of these things. But I never created the I am state. In the back of my head was, I can't do this. 26.2 miles, I'll never, you know, so I am creating statements, but not at all empowering. And I remember finally, you know, it was wintertime and I had to work out and I wasn't walking more than 15, 20 minutes on the treadmill. And I'm thinking, how am I ever going to get in shape by June? And so I started listening to Dr. Deb Sandella and Jack Canfield's positive statements. And by just listening, I was walking 45 minutes to an hour. But I still, you know, it takes like seven and a half hours to walk a marathon. So I remember trying to, to walk four miles in preparation. You know, I'm kind of slow at working out here. And I remember walking on a street, nobody around me. And I'm thinking, I'm never going to get this done. How am I, why did I say yes? And this statement in my head just appeared with a loud voice. And I'm, I'm just standing there and I'm thinking, I need to create my own statement. And I'm saying, but I'm not a marathoner. I'll never, be, you know, I can't even walk 10 miles. And all of a sudden, this loud voice pops in my head. You are a marathoner. And I literally just stopped cold. I mean, like, who said that? There was nobody around me. <laughs> and I stopped and I go, well, first of all, where'd the voice come from? Which I still don't know. I suspect where it came from. <laughs> but I realized that I really am a marathoner. Marathon, walking a marathon doesn't mean I walk 26.2 miles. That's what I made it mean. It means every day of my life is a marathon. I get up, I take care of the kids, I go to work, I do my reports, I run carpools, I fix dinner. And as soon as I realized that I am a marathoner, I could state it clearly and mean it. You can't make an I am statement if you don't really believe it. Right. And as soon as I said, I am a marathoner and believed it, my whole workout schedule changed. We ended up doing the marathon, completing it. And I remember how powerful that moment was of declaring I am, but it has to be true to you. And um, thanks for bringing that up because, you know, that statement still stays in my body, how mm -hmm. powerful it was to declare who you really want to be. It's very powerful. Yeah. So, yeah. so your work is great. And I look forward to the day of seeing your work, you know, out there in the world, changing lives, one toddler at a time. <laughs> <laughs> so Sue, we're getting close to the end of our time. I'd love for you to share with our listeners how they can learn more about Socket to them and what they can do as an in individual to help those needing uh, support. Yeah. Well, to learn more about it, um, I, you know, want to direct people again to our website, donatesocks.org, donatesocks.org. And a way to start, we do this with so many people, so many people have said how this particular thing has made a difference in how they 
um, think about really making a difference and helping those who are experiencing homelessness. So I recommend and encourage people to get a package of new socks, put them on the passenger seat of the car. And when you come to somebody who's standing at the corner, hand out a pair of socks. And when you first do that, they may not know what you're handing out the window, right? But when they recognize, often when they recognize what it is, the response is socks, socks, you gave me socks. Thank you so much. The first time that happened to me, it was a gentleman in the snow and it was just this terrible snowstorm. And he's thanking me and thanking me and the light changed. And as my car turns, I could see in my rear view mirror, I could see him taking um, his foot out of his boot. His foot was barefoot. It's snowing really hard. And he's taking the socks and putting the socks on. And I started crying. I thought I'm sitting in a warm car. I'm on my way to Home Depot. And here's a man standing on the corner who's like in his 60s. And he was so grateful for that pair of socks. So that's a simple thing everybody can do. And it makes a difference. I love that. And you've started me on doing that. And I just can't tell you the number of stories I could share of just handing the socks. And often people are on the corner, they're looking down, they don't say much, they see the socks, and they look you right in the eye and say, thank you. And I get chills for the little gesture that maybe made a little difference in people's lives. So that's a great, great way to do it. Thank you. Is there anything else you want to share before we wrap up? You know, the only thing I would like to share is that every person can make a difference in the world. So whatever it is, it doesn't matter if it's even just giving somebody else a smile, but, you know, to think about what it is that you can do to, you know, to brighten somebody else's day or to make a difference or look for those um, opportunities that are out there and just say, you know, I'm open to whatever, you know, might come my way and you just have you don't have an, you know, you don't have a clue what it really is going to be, but we all can be contributors to um, a greater environment. That's wonderful. And, you know, if, if you had a pair of magic glasses to see the world through the lens of clarity, courage, and confidence, what would your world look like? My world, actually, there's many things, but two things is that we'd have clean air and uh, uh, clean water. I, we really, I, I'm very environmentally conscious and you know, I think who speaks for the earth and there's many things, of course, in that way, but I would really like to see, have let them know that my grandchildren would live in a world where there's clean water and clean air, along with a lot of other aspects of the environment. Well, Sue, thank you, thank you, thank you. You always move me, your inspiration, your wisdom. Um, and I love, just want to remind everybody about that expansion thinking. Ask what if, what else, why not? And so check Sue out at the website, donatesocks.org. And thanks to everybody for joining us today. Remember, your vision doesn't define you. You define your vision. And expand your vision, see with clarity, gain courage and confidence. So thanks again for joining us. We'll talk to you soon and goodbye for right now. 
Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.